Welcome to the Scuffed Podcast. I'm Adam Bells in Georgia. With me is Greg Velasquez in Iowa. We talk about U.S. men's soccer. Thanks for downloading this episode of Scuffed, a nail-biter in Denver. The U.S. left it late, but Jordan Theason Sibachu Pifak came up big with a headed goal in the 89th minute to stave off penalties and advance to the Nations League final on Sunday against, it turns out, Mexico, barely. Lots to pick over here. Greg, how you doing? I'm all right, Bells. A little, a little bit on the worried side. A little bit on the worried side. Do you want to say anything about that right now, or should we wait? I mean, I don't, I, yeah, I don't think I need to really explain why right now. I think everyone probably, probably gets it. Uh, but yeah, we will, we'll, let's, let's talk about the game and we can, and we can figure out how positively or negatively or a little bit of both. Uh, we both are. Yeah. I, I want to say to, you know, we're going to, if we're super negative, we're going to get some negative Apple reviews about it. This is always the case. We, people didn't like what we said after we lost to Canada, <laughs> back in the fall of 2019. And um, I just want to say there, there are positives from this game and it's not, we're going to try to be as precise as we can, but you know what? We got to call balls and strikes to use a really good soccer metaphor. <laughs> it actually, you know, it reminds me a lot of people were negative after the Canada loss, but we were, we were also like, I think one of the more negative uh, reviewers around after some of the gold cup wins in 2019. And it was, it, I feel like it was a similar situation where, Yes, we won, but there were just some like there were some flags raised. I felt like in some of those games, and I feel like there were. It's hard to say there were no flags raised in yesterday's game. Definitely some definitely some flags raised. Okay, let's let's go through the lineup real quick. Um, for the U.S., it was Zach Steffen and goal. No surprise there. And then Dest at right back, McKenzie and Brooks as the center back pairing after they played pretty well against Switzerland. And then Anthony Robinson starting at left back. And then we had Jackson Ewell at the six. We will talk about this at length. Uh, Weston McKenney and Sebastian Legette as the eights, pushing very high for big points, big parts of this game. And then a uh, front line of Reyna, Sargent, Pulisic from right to left, although Reyna and Pulisic did switch sides some. For Honduras, it was uh, Luis Lopez in goal, Kevin Alvarez, Marcelo Pereira, Minor Figueroa, and Rodriguez across the back line, and then Flores and Lopez as a double pivot, uh, you know, nominally, and then Rivas, Rubio, and Albert Elise across the front line. Some some formations had Elise as a in a two striker formation with Anthony Lozano, who was the number nine, the big number nine. Okay, any thoughts on the lineup? First of all, well, Bells, what what would you think about just going from back of the lineup to the front of the lineup and kind of talking about each sort of group and, and what you kind of took from them. <laughs> Can I throw that at you? Yeah. I, uh, I'll say, um, I thought the back four played pretty well with a couple of exceptions. Um, Dest, you know, Dest held the guy on side for that big chance. Bells, you're, you're kind of, you're kind of skipping a guy here. And I, and I feel like that that's telling Oh yeah. I mean, I always forget to talk about the goalkeeper, but yes, Stefan. Okay. You're kind of leading me where you want me to go here. (laughs) Stefan. I'm worried about Zach Stefan. Let's see. Yeah. Let's start right there. What the (laughs) hell was he doing on that set piece that Sergeant had to clear off the line? 
And, and why do we have to ask what the hell was he doing so many times that Zach Steffen plays games? Such a high percentage of the times, I guess, we'll say that he plays games. Yeah. I have Ethan Horvath's uncle or somebody related to Ethan. Ethan maybe it's Ethan himself. Who knows? <laughs> coming at me on Twitter about this all the time. And I have to admit that he was right after this game where he said, you know, uh, you know, he's arguing that, that Stefan and Horvath are on an equal footing. And I'm like, I'm, you know, I've come around like Stefan. <laughs> I don't like, I don't, you know, that's one of the weird things about USMNT Twitter. You never know when you're talking to dad or mom, but, um, <laughs> but in this case, man, Stefan, Stefan stresses me out as much as anybody on the field. Uh, you're the goalkeeper. You're the goalkeeper here. Why don't you say something about it? Uh, I'll just say what I've been saying since like 2018. I think it's strange that Zach Steffen was basically just like installed as the as the number one guy. Uh, and I don't think that his status as being a bought by Man City um, should necessarily like uh, elevate him to that sort of untouchable realm. Um, and, I, and I don't even really buy into the fact that like, oh, he's rusty. He just doesn't play a lot. That's why we should worry. Like, I, I just don't know that he is necessarily all of that good at being goalkeeper relative to some of the competition he has. Yeah. You know, but who I, else but I, the reason I thought it was telling that you skipped over him was it's just because like, it's just so taken for granted and has been so taken for granted that he's clearly the number one. And, and really all we have seen from him is good to, or mediocre to good performances with Columbus crew. He was never like exceptional for Columbus crew outside of like penalty kicks where he is. Uh, I was, I was actually like, Oh, at least if we go to penalty kicks, we've got Zach Steffen there. Um, he was, he's excellent at those, but he was never an excellent shot stopper in MLS. He makes the move to Man City, immediately loans to uh, a Bundesliga outfit where they get relegated, and he was not an exceptional shot stopper for that outfit. And I know people thought he was or talked about him like he was because he had a lot of highlights, but that was just a, a like a, a consequence of his team being really bad and allowing a lot of shots. Uh, the, when he got hurt halfway through the season, his uh, backup came in, and performed basically exactly the same that he had performed. The team won the exact same number of points. So the argument that Stefan was keeping that uh, Dusseldorf team like alive longer than it should have been uh, didn't really play out. They didn't earn any extra points with Stefan in and the backup, and they basically finished with identical shots, uh, expected goals uh, over post-shot expected goals. Goals allowed over post-shot XG. Yeah, I mean, most people are going to hear that sentence you just uttered and be like <laughs> okay but suffice it to say he you know th there's no evidence that he is he should be the number one at this point uh and that manchester city pedigree does go a long way i think with the fan base just the fact that he's you know he suits up for that team under pep guardiola he's training with you know pep guardiola every every day during the regular season but you know who else was bought by manchester city eric palmer brown and he's, you know, languishing in Austria. And we'll see where Stefan ends up on, you know, presumably on loan this year, unless he's going to be a backup for another year. I don't know. I guess I don't know what the truth is on that. Anyway, this this set piece where he um, comes flailing out way late and and it, it takes a legit miracle from Josh Sargent to prevent a goal. I mean, that is an incredible clearance by Sargent. Uh, off the back of his head, charging full speed into the goal, uh, Keeps it out. Unbelievable. Otherwise, we're we're down one zero. We probably lose. We probably lose this game. Uh, yikes! And then also, Sergeant. I mean, Stefan. Uh, there was that that one play early in the first half where McKenzie played it back to Stefan, and 
Stefan just totally misjudged the speed of the ball and the speed of the on-rushing attacker. I think it was Lozano, and it it was almost uh, kind of like a David Ochoa situation. Yeah, that's totally that's totally a mark against him. It's it, you don't you don't hit that clearance through the on-rushing defender. You hit it well, well wide of him. Even if that means hitting it horizontally straight out for a throw-in, like you just do not take the chance of a deflection, not just going in your own goal, but going anywhere that you can't predict. Uh, so that was a mark against him. Now he did come up with a couple of big plays, really big plays. Uh, there was the one view, and, and part of it will be like, okay, Stefan did a good job. What in the world was the Honduras player doing when he's 1v1 with 45 yards of space known around him uh, and somehow bottles it? But Stefan definitely made a play uh, to prevent that, and that would have put us down 1-0. So while while Sargent saved him once, he definitely bailed us out later in the game. Bailed out Serginio Des specifically. So let's move up to the let's move up to the the back four because right. I mean the, the Stefan the Stefan questions are like we got to you know, as they, as the headlines from Buzzfeed used to say, like three years ago, we need to have a conversation about Zach Stefan. <laughs> um, John, I think that's been John Mueller's conversation for, for the right. last two years now. Right. So I think, I think Dest outside of holding, uh, I think it was Lozano again. It might've been Rivas uh, onside for that huge chance that Stefan did come, come up big on. I thought Dest played pretty well. Uh, and I thought McKenzie, outside of that time when he got absolutely done by Elise. And this is what I've been talking about with McKenzie's like lateral quickness where Elise just pushed the ball past him and, you know, created like 15 yards of separation, almost effortlessly. That's, that's a little bit of a problem with McKenzie, but other than that, I thought McKenzie played very well. And Brooks, Brooks was mag- magisterial. I thought <laughs> I loved, I loved everything about Brooks's performance. I mean, not everything. There were a couple of shaky moments. I mean, you're not going to have a perfect game, but he was so good. He, he played the ball for the goal. Uh, he, he played that like incredible worm burner 60 yards across field to Reina early in the half. And he was really, really reliable defensively, even one V one for the most part. The, the thing I love the most about Brooks is how, how much of a man he was in this game, you know? Now I know you're, you, you're saying, you said on the timeline last night, don't complain about concaffing. Cause that just means you're, you're playing kind of bad. It's yep, like, yep. I, I'm not complaining about concaffing. I I'm, I'm down you're with that. It, right? Yeah. I, I was glorying in it. And I think so was John Brooks last night, the way he backed down Albert Elise after that. I mean, we'll get into this in the timeline, but that moment with uh, where Raina ran over and, and, you know, piped some hot abuse into the ear of Toro. Uh, and then the scrum ensued. Brooks was just, I mean, he's just the big man on campus in that moment. And he never crosses the line, right? He never crosses a line where he's going to put himself or a teammate in danger of getting tossed, uh, which is huge. That's, that is actually like the nature of concacafery for me. He seemed un, untroubled, you know, languid, languid in his shithousery. Um, so I loved the performance from Brooks. And I thought Robinson... You know, Robinson's not a plus player in possession necessarily, you know, moving the ball forward, but it was a, it was a welcome relief in terms of just a little bit more defensive stability on the left side than we had with Des there um, against Switzerland. And I think also, you know, he, he played a couple of nice balls across like that cross for Sargent uh, late in the first half was a delightful, a delightful pass could have been a goal easily. So I thought Robinson Robinson had a positive outing too. So I'm I'm pretty happy with the back four. 
one thing I wish I would have seen more from Robinson, and, and this probably applies to most of the team, and it, it's kind of a carryover from Switzerland. I thought he was still a little bit too safe uh, for what he offers. And in that sense, I mean, like, he would get the ball sometimes on the edge, uh, and he'd be looking at one Honduras defender, and he would just sort of stand up on the ball, wait, watch watch the pl- our players sort of move around him and develop, and then just sort of make a simple pass, not an incisive one, just a simple one. Uh, and it's like, no, we've got you there. You have this ridiculous pace. Um, you can beat this guy. This guy isn't an elite defender. He, they don't, Honduras don't have elite fullbacks. Like, you could do this guy, or you could do him often enough, a higher, a high enough percentage of the time, that it is well worth it for you to try. But we, he didn't really he didn't really ever do that. He never really went out on that limb. And it was just, again, it was really, we just had a really conservative outlook, I felt like. Yeah, I think, I mean, he did it once, right? And uh, beat a few guys, and then and then tapped it out to, I think, Legette, who then just like recycled possession backwards, which is not necessarily a bad decision in that moment. But yeah, I think that... Uh, his ability to carry the ball forward, we saw it, I think, once in the game. So I agree with you. I would have liked to see that more. Should we move up to Yule? All right, the the great Yule test. Two games now we've had we've had of what I think would be considered real tests. Take it away, Professor Velasquez. I would say that I don't think Jackson Yule has passed the tests. Uh, and what I think is kind of interesting is, you know, against Switzerland, I think there was a lot of sort of watching him to see how he'd hold up athletically. Uh, and I don't think he necessarily did great. He didn't, he wasn't a complete uh, disaster, but I don't think he necessarily like, he doesn't impose himself in that area. You know, he's not like, Oh, this area is controlled because Yule's there. And then yesterday, I think it was, it was actually pretty rough. Uh, and I, and I think I'm, I'm even, that might be being a little bit kind. Um, but, but the other big thing, and I asked this after the Switzerland game in our little group, I was like, Hey, does anyone remember any passes Yule made that like, anyone a James Sands or Tyler Adams doesn't make and he didn't really have any of those against Switzerland and then he didn't really have any of them against Honduras too and that is like the big test because if you're going to carry Jackson Ewell it's exactly to make those passes and be incisive and be unpredictable and find players in in better spots than we would have gotten with with a, a more conservative center midfielder and if he's not doing that then then why would you risk the the athletic shortcoming so he didn't pass the test for me. Where, where do you have him? Yeah, same. I mean, same. I think the athletic shortcomings are kind of the root of it on actually on both ends of the ball because he, he had, uh, I clocked him. I have the timestamps. I can, sh- I can share the receipts if you want. He had three pretty like not great giveaways in the first half simply because he wasn't quick enough or not athletic enough, or maybe you could argue, maybe not alert enough to what's going on around him. And I think he got, those things happened. I think he got the yips and he was just, he wasn't even trying to play forward after that. He was, he was just, uh, he was Mr. Sideways or backward. And w- there are some moments in this game that are really frustrating to watch in retrospect from him. I mean, I, mean, I think you, you clocked one where, uh, do you want to describe it? Cause I yeah, think it was, it's, it's really telling. Yeah, it was, it was a, it's one of those great John Brooks balls where Brooks is like, just, casually holding it in the back and suddenly like he pings it up to immediately up to Josh Sargent's feet and we have the ball in the attacking third like in space and Sargent has a perfect layoff like takes all the sting out of the ball puts it right in Ewell's path Ewell's facing forward Sargent has drawn like the right center back with him with his check back um, and Pulisic is now in the space between the right fullback and where the right center back has just vacated he is all alone like he's literally all by himself not only the goal 
Not only is he all alone, there is a clear window to pass to him. Oh yeah. Like the, yeah. there's, there's no one in his way. There's no vision required. Uh, you're looking directly at Christian Pulisic and, and like you will just does not clock it. He, he sort of like takes a, a scuffed pass directly back to Sargent, who's, you know, checked back into that area. Uh, I mean, he also could have hit McKenney another lineup. So the whole idea is like up back through, but mm -hmm. we didn't do that. We had like up back and then kind of like scuffed sideways. Uh, and now Stefan or now Sergeant has to like solve it. He, he actually gave Josh Sargent a problem to solve instead of springing us in on goal. And, and that's, again, that's the whole thing that has to be Ewell's bread and butter. And if it's a one-off thing, okay, you're not going to hit every single window that opens, but you got to hit some of those windows. Like that's your whole job. And I just looked it up. This was in the 14th minute. So it's too early to say that he had the yips at this point. It's just maybe who he is, you know, and, and um, that's a pattern of play. You know, we're trying to get the ball to Sergeant to lay it off for Yule to then, you know, hit that next line pass. Didn't happen. You know, this wasn't the only time it didn't happen. There were like, there were a couple of like attempted through balls that were just rockets over the end line from Yule. Uh, it's not, it wasn't working. And then, you know, the, I put something on Twitter this morning from the second half early in the second half where Robinson has the ball. He kind of does a guy and then plays it into Yule. Yule has, Yule is facing the sideline from about 10 yards away. He has the entire field behind him and, and Raina standing wide open and he, pa he passes it uh, up the line, I think to maybe Pulisic. I'm not sure. And then it comes, it comes back to, so at that point, you know, Rain is kind of like, oh, I wish you would have turned and seen me. And then the, it comes back to you a moment later and he's in the, he's has even more room to turn and play the ball. And he doesn't even turn. He just taps it back to Robinson and Raina is jumping up and down in the center circle in frustration. And Brooks even Brooks even rem remonstrates, you know, he goes, he kind of like drops his fist real fast, like good grief, Jackson, turn around. And uh, that's everybody. We're all watching that getting frustrated. I had, you know, people telling me that they were almost through their TV, their remote at the TV in that moment. And that's just, that has to be better. That has to, we are the person in that position has to be able to play on the half turn there. And it looks to me like Jackson needs to go back to Almeida university for a couple semesters, you know, pick up some credits and let's see where he stands. And I'd even, I'd even uh, say that, that they don't necessarily have to do that, right? Like if they can't find that pass, if it's not in their wheelhouse, uh, you could forgive it if it's because they are like a plus, plus, plus player somewhere else. Like, okay, they can't, they don't quite have that in their toolbox. So we're going to have to rely on John Brooks to do all the, all of the progressive passing, which is what kind of we were, were doing yesterday, but, but they, but they're also flawless at taking away angles in transition, you know, or they're uh, amazing at defending in pursuit in a scramble, but you is none of those things either. So he, he's got to give us something to get to get on the field. And in his two big tests, I'd say he probably has not done that. Yep. And he did he did win some physical battles against Switzerland, you know, defensively. I'm not sure he did against Honduras last night in a game with that was that had a little bit more of in, more intensity to it. Um, so. I'll be really frustrated if you starts against Mexico on Sunday and I don't know if he won't, you know, I, I feel like it's a toss up. He might, he, he might start. Don't you think? 
Uh, it would not surprise me at all. Uh, and, and it would just be one of those things where if he starts and suddenly like looks great and is hitting all these passes, then he and Burhalter have, have figured it out behind the scenes and he's in Burhalter's prepared him to do what he really wants and what he's good at. Um, and if he starts and can't do those things, then I think it has to be uh, a, a gold cup <laughs> debutante who, who ends up sort of taking that job come September. Yeah. I mean, we again, we've been looking for that second six for a while. So, uh, and, and who and again, maybe Kellen Acosta starts and, and looks great. Yeah. And I'm not saying, I want to be clear. I'm not saying Kellen Acosta. I'm convinced that Kellen Acosta is going to be super great in that role. If he plays that role against Mexico, I still think it should be Eunice Musa. <laughs> I do, man. I, I think he can do all the stuff, all the other stuff. Um, he may not play on the half turn with, you know, Pirlo-esque elegance, but neither does Yule. So let's play somebody who brings, like you said, gives us the other stuff. And, and, and we know that Musa can pick up the ball and step past a guy and Yule definitely cannot do that. So, right. so since we're talking about Musa, I don't know if I want him there, but I, I certainly want him on the field. So let's talk about the eights. Yeah. Okay. Cause Musa wasn't, didn't play as an eight yesterday either. Musa didn't play at all. Didn't come into the game. Weird. Um, so the, the eights were McKenney and Legette, and I would say neither of them had a very good game. Isn't that fair to say? I'm, I, would, I would tend to agree with that, yes. Uh, I don't know. Now, now, I'm not sophisticated enough to know if that's just they didn't have a good game because they you know, ate the wrong cereal in the morning or if they didn't have a good game because the tactics were all wrong. But um, a couple of observations, if you'll allow me. Uh, they were both... Not the whole game, but for big portions of the game, they were both really high. So we were like emptying out the center circle basically to give, I think, Yule room to operate or maybe to bring to bring Pulisic and Reyna into the center circle to receive the ball. I'm not sure exactly, but they were both really high. And that role does not fit McKenney very well. I think we've seen this for the national team for the last two, three years. When he's in zone 14, receiving the ball with his with his back to goal, it's, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't work. He's not a high cog in a rhythmic attacking machine. That's not what he's good at. Now, with all due respect to Andrea Pirlo at Juventus, I mean, even there, he's not a cog. He's just like a chaos merchant running all <laughs> over the, the front of the field. So we can't, I don't, I don't think we can rely on McKenney to be that cog that high up the field. And we tried to do that for a lot of this game. That didn't work. Yeah, to take that and, and get it, strip it down to like it's very basic, like youth coaching stuff. Uh, it didn't allow us to really create any triangles. It kind of reminded me of the, the Olympic setup we had where the the attacking line was just too high and too horizontal. Like everyone's on the same level. You don't have these little triangles. There was very little like combination interplay. So when there finally was on a couple of those buildups on Reina's side, especially like they really stood out like, oh man, this is slick, like all this passing. And there was nothing Honduras was doing to prevent us from doing more of that, in my opinion, for basically every possession. Like, I don't know how every possession didn't have more of that. I don't know why we looked so lost for so much of our possession time. Yeah. So I don't know if I'd go that far that we looked so lost for so much of our, I mean, we had good stretches of possession. We had, we had some good attacking sequences, but, but yeah, the McKinney, McKinney was, you know, not, well, he was part of some of it, but he just wasn't consistently in, in sync, in flow, 
with the game. And I would say Legette, uh, who I was a little disappointed in his performance against Switzerland. I was also disappointed in his performance to last night. I thought he was again, pretty timid when he got on the ball in attacking spots. Um, he wasn't terrible or anything. And I don't know if it's just the contrast between him and like Pulisic and Reyna, just watching them on the field and how they interact with the ball. Uh, how that, that contrast is so stark, but it does make me come around a little bit to the, the point of view that, you know, legit, maybe spot starts good off the bench, but he's not quite up to that level. I don't know. Uh, I'd rather see, I mean, I'd rather uh, see Musa there. Yeah. I'd rather see Musa play the right. eight. I'd, and the I'd six. rather see Musa there. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm the same. There wasn't anything legit did in that game that stood out in, even to the point of like, uh, again, just sort of being a, a good, up final third facilitator um there wasn't a lot of it for me it didn't feel like there was a lot of that facilitating going on generally so uh and i'd say it was similar against switzerland so that's two games in a row now where there hasn't been a lot of good uh attacking combination and i know you might push back and say that there were moments and there were good moments i thought even in that game though uh, a lot of the moments turned into a little bit of like hero ball uh that that, that might not be entirely fair we, we oh set i think that's fair up for some good hero ball moments <laughs> yeah i mean hero ball is it turned into like what we were talking about on twitter last night it turned in a lot of times it turned into give the ball to christian or geo and and let them dribble and those guys are happy to do that that's what they love to do that's what they were born to do is dribble at people but we had there has to be some uh there has to be a mix of hero ball and team yeah and it, attack it'd be- it'd be nice if, if the team unbalanced the opponent slightly disorganized the opponent slightly so that they were doing their hero ball against a, a scrambling defense instead of a uh, very set up defense. And I think, you know, I, uh, I think that 31 pass sequence leading to the Gio Reyna, the Gio Reyna missed just wide. That was a good example of team. I think team, the team creating disorganization for Honduras. There was a lot of, a lot of intricate movement down the right wing. It did end up with yep. Reyna, doing a couple guys in the box, but he received the ball running with a full head of steam into the box. Like he received the ball in the box, heading into the box from desk, a very nice pass. And those guys are, you know, kind of scrambling to come cover. So he's is in yep. a good position to do hero ball that I think that right. was a lot, lot easier, a lot easier to dribble people when they're, when they're desperately scrambling. Yeah. Over, there, there's a lot of over committing a lot of that kind of thing. Right. And I think, you know, the, the, the camera panned to Berhalter right after he missed that just wide and you know Berhalter was like ah because that was that would have been a real big vindication of the whole program and I you know I wish it had happened I'm I'm not trying to be negative I wish I wish Reina had either finished it or squared it to Sargent having a lively debate about that over the last 12 <laughs> hours should he have squared it should he have shot I think it's it's understandable that he shot in that situation Sargent was on side when he struck the ball and he was standing right in front of the goal five yards away for a tap in. So, you know, take with that, what you will. I, I won't wade into it. Okay. I, th- I think, you know, where I stand. Where do you No, I don't. Where do you stand? <laughs> you got to square it for the, for the 0.9 expected goal tap in. Yeah. It's, <laughs> but I guess I, what I, I, that's my, that's my point of view too. But I, what I understand is that the game comes at you fast. You just did yes. two guys. You see the goal. It's not a bad, bad shot in a, necessarily right right it's a good it's a good scoring chance from reina 
you know, if you're if you're trying to optimize your your chances of scoring goals, you trade that chance for one extra pass and a much much higher chance of finishing. Yeah. Um, but you're but it's not something where you're gonna you're gonna get too down on Reina about it. Yeah, it's a, when it's not a computer game. We're all hot blooded <laughs> human beings. Um, and I, I guess I'm curious. What do you think? What do you think we were trying to do by pushing the eights so high and leaving the middle vacant? I, I really don't know. I, I mean, I'm not sure what it was. Like, uh, I think we would have had far more success uh, creating a little bit more layered uh, attack. And and I thought this was kind of again similar to like the issues against Switzerland. Like, we didn't have a lot of this interchange. Like, the whole idea of this positional play is to have this free flowing interchange. Uh, but I don't think it should just be when Pulisic Arena get the ball at their feet and start trying to do people that we start moving around them. Uh, I really thought that we missed a lot of chances again to combine and drag defenders on every possession. We kind of just conceded that we weren't going to do that. And it was just going to be this, uh, it, it, it just, for me feels a lot, a lot more stagnant. Yeah. I mean, some of that, a lot of that has to do with Yule, I think. You know, you were missing those opportunities to hit that that second pass between the lines, but also, like you said, Robinson wasn't wasn't super risk taking. Risk taking risk taking is is nervy for the U.S. because I think, as Matt Hartman said, we a lot of times when we give the ball away, we have like six guys ahead of the ball, and it turns into like you know what should what is like a routine giving away of possession turns into this like really scary moment all the like constantly going the other way just like yeah. a jail jailbreak the other way right yeah i don't and i don't under i think that could be solved by dropping one of the eights deeper and having somebody a little more uh defensively responsible i think i think mckinney would mckinney was not very good defensively you know he didn't win his battles um so i mean that's why i really another reason i wanted really wanted musa in there for just for that just for the cage match you know guy i I get a thousand dollars if I say the words cage match in every episode for the rest of the year. Well, we harped on that for since Musa has been in the, I mean, since those November friendlies, it wasn't just Musa either, uh, but the ability to uh, get a challenge in and win the ball with a challenge that your team now has it, not just disrupt it and blow things up, but like blow it up in a way that we keep it. And, and when we don't do that, like everything suffers, our ability to hit back the other way quickly suffers to take a scramble and suddenly be like in space attacking disappears. Uh, and it's more like, okay, now we're doing a lot more defending, pursuing back to our own goal because, I mean, in part because Jackson Ewell couldn't do that. He couldn't blow someone up and have us go the other way. Right. And and then Brooks, I noticed uh, late in the first half, Brooks started like pushing up and engaging those physical battles as far up as the center circle or even in the other team's half, in Honduras's half, while Ewell kind of like retreated and like conceded that job to – Brooks not saying that's necessarily bad, but it is kind of telling that uh, our big, our big lumbering center back had to be the one to, to sort of run all over and blow things up. And then he did, you know, he also did try to blow up Albert Elise's back by kneeing him in the back, uh, which I thought was also good conca calfing. I mean, I'm not a proponent of dirty play, but Elise had, Elise had, uh, you know, was seeing red from kickoff in this game. Right, you gotta let a guy know you were there, right? Yep. All right. Do are we? Do we still have to talk about Sergeant? Are you are you good on Pulisic and Reina? Have you sung their praises enough? Yeah, I thought they both played. They both showed that they're like 
obviously the two most talented players on the field. Well, I mean, possible exception of Dest. Uh, they did start flagging in the second half. I think both of them, Pulisic in particular, got pretty sloppy in the second half. But uh, he was great. It would have been nice if he would have finished that one where he tried to meg, uh, meg the goalkeeper. It almost got through. It, the, the goalkeeper caught it with his heels. So, yeah, that, 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 that's what I got to say on Pulisic and Reina. Anything from you on them? No, I think I think they I think they should be in a position to succeed where they are basically given complete freedom uh, to go wherever they want, whenever they want. I mean, things things should happen when when they do that, and we have reads off of that. Uh, but they definitely are not. I don't think those two are in like a rigid system where we're uh, underusing them. I think we need to find uh, solutions earlier in the buildup to put them in better positions to succeed. I I I do think Reina you know, you could argue he should have been more unselfish on that one play. Uh, and, but he, he is, he is probably even better than Musa in the cage match. Like he just like wins the ball every time. And I love that. He's, I love that he's ready for CONCACAF and it's such a contrast. You know, we think of Pulisic and Reina as sort of similar players in some ways, but uh, if you look, if you look at the scrum that happened after the Sergeant goal line clearance, you know, Reina makes that beeline over, says something probably very nasty to Toro. And then, uh, and then he's, you know, it's, everything goes into chaos and it was, it was, I don't know if he meant it this way, but it, it worked out well because it took attention off the penalty shout and it got everybody sort of thinking about this other stuff. Meanwhile, Pulisic's just like standing, you know, 30 yards away watching. He is not interested in that kind of stuff. And Reina is, they're very different in that way. And I like that about Reina that he's going to get, get involved and, you know, He's kind of mean spirited too, which I think is not the worst thing to have on your team. He's a, he's applying that body language to the opponent as well. Yes. Yep. Yeah. It's not just he's not just mad at teammates. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about Sergeant. What are your thoughts? I thought I thought he was mostly good. Uh, if if he wasn't used that often, and I feel like he was so close to getting used twice, uh, where it would have been tap ins the rain one, and then even the Pulisic one that Pulisic tried to uh, score on himself, which again it's his call to make, but there is a path there to slide it across for the tap in. And in 2021, every attacking player knows that that's something to be aware of. You know what I mean? Like uh, you see those last uh, extra passes so often now and, and on the best teams, you know, when we grew up, we, we all grew up watching Barcelona. Uh, that extra pass is not like a, a novelty anymore. Right. Yeah. I thought the, the window for that pass was pretty tight, but it was. maybe it was you could have gotten it in there. Yeah. It was it was not as open as, as the Reina one. No. The Reina one, I'd almost forgive him more if it was like, uh, I, I I thought there'd be a risk he was offside. He was so alone. Yeah. There was a risk he was offside earlier in the sequence because he was offside early in the sequence. Anyway, we don't need to <laughs> litigate that. But, um, but yeah, so so Sibichu comes in and scores a great goal. Awesome for him. Um, but it, it came when somebody did square the ball to him when he got himself free in front of goal. So so it's where this this narrative of like, oh, Sibichu should start because he scored. Uh, it just like suddenly there's this circumstantial bit of like his teammate got it to him. Sergeant's teammate did not get it to him when he's in the scoring position. Uh, so how do you how do you decide which guy is more likely to give you the goal in the next game? Yeah, I don't know that I've seen that narrative so much. Like, see what you ought to start because of that. But uh, I, I mean, I don't think it would be crazy to start him anyway. I mean, regardless of that sort of debate, like, I don't know that see what you's not going to give you as much or more than Josh Sargent. But, uh, but it's it's just again part of the whole 
Um, judging a striker's performance, did Sargent get in a couple of good spots to score? Yes. Did he get the ball when he got into those spots? Not every time. Uh, how's he going to do next time? That's what we got to try to figure out. I still think he's a little soft in the buildup. Like he's not, he's not a hundred percent reliable to get to that pass to him and then to, to be able to hold on to it and find somebody's feet. Um, but you know, he had the great, a great headed chance off of the Robinson cross as well. And, uh, and then that sidewinder in the second mm-hmm. half. That was where... probably my, my favorite moment of his, to be honest. Really? Yeah. Well, the, the, the goal line clearance was clearly the, the best one, but uh, I really liked that, that strength and the, the technique. Yeah. Just, just didn't quite connect with it the way he wanted to. And it went over, but that would have been a hell of a goal. Hey, but I, I, I want to uh, emphasize too that point you just made. Uh, it does feel like a ball into Sargent's feet has to be like perfect for him to really get to it. Does that, does that kind of, were you kind of, I, I would definitely echo that. Yeah. He, he's not going to necessarily like create an additional yard of space to collect that ball and play. And I don't know if that's like lack of awareness or lack of athleticism. It's probably a little bit of both. Um, but he, he probably needs to get a little stronger. We've covered a lot of the timeline elements already. And we're already what forty minutes in, so let's let's let's. I'll try to do an abbreviated timeline. Famous last words. Uh, <laughs> so, I do want to m- mention that Elise did that conca calfing in the first minute, thirty seconds in that bit of gamesmanship where he drops the floor in front of Brooks, and then Brooks urged him to get up and tries to help him up in a probably not entirely friendly way, and Elise just turns on him furiously. And a little scrum ensues. I, I thought that, you know, that was a sign of things to come from Elise and Brooks who were at, at each other's throats the whole game. At, at each other's throats is not the right word. Elise was theatrically at, at Brooks's throat. Brooks was sort of calmly backing Elise down throughout the game. Um, that lovely Pulisic dummy in the third minute on that Brooks pass. Remember that? Uh, oh, yeah. Yep, yep. So that gets legit sprung. Yeah, and this is an example of Leggett being, I think, a little timid. He, you know, if that's Pulisic getting on the ball there, he's cutting inside and just like running full speed. Same with Reyna at the goal. And Leggett just, you know, he plays kind of a safe pass out wide for Sargent. Sargent isn't able to really do much with it. Even if his cross had gotten through, I don't know that it would have found anybody, but it was clear it was cut out by the first man. And then... Yule, the fifth minute, Yule a little slow on the ball, gets eaten up in the counter press. Uh, same thing happened in the 11th minute. And I, I haven't done a full rewatch or, or even gone in like player by player yet because I don't think the, the clips were up yet on Y Scout. Uh, but I'm, I'm hoping that like the full Yule compilation, and I haven't seen cranks or false fullbacks Yule clips yet. Uh, I'm hoping to be wrong. I'm hoping that like a couple of these early mistakes just stuck with me and he was better than I remember but I'm, I'm not optimistic. No, I, uh, so yeah, we're really getting off the timeline here, which is fine. Cause it's, <laughs> cause it's so, so exhaustive, but, um, the, the only really positive moment from Yule in the first half on the ball that I noticed was in the 30th minute when the, when that, that Sergeant header that on the, on the cross from Robinson. So there's a little bit of combination play between, uh, Robinson legit and Yule that does give Robinson space to operate. 
and and Yule was involved in that. So it was like slightly positive. The thing is, it's space to operate from with his feet on the chalk, you know, from like his the touch line. So it's not like it sprung anything, but you know, Yule was involved. That's the only positive passing moment that I clocked from Yule in the first half. All right. I don't have the timestamp of this one, but he did hit like a left-footed swooping ball out to, I think, Legette, uh, Legette on the right flank, and Legette didn't bring it down, just like whiffed a bit. Maybe, maybe uh, like sunlight in the eyes situation, but... The ball made it harder for Legette than it needed to be, too. I, I totally agree with that, too. That's what I was going to say, is it, it didn't put him in the best spot that the ball, a, a better ball would have been <laughs> uh, better for Legette. Yeah. I mean, easy for me to say from, from the closet behind my one-year-old's bedroom, but like, you know, that's the ball. That's what we're doing, right? We're grading yeah. on against the, the optimal play. Yeah. Uh, a lot of Reina dribbling in transition. Uh, and I, I think that's a good situation to be in. I do. I would like to see him release the ball with a little more intentionality. And I don't know if it, it, you could blame the off ball movement for him not having great options, but it does seem like when he gets the ball in transition, he's as likely to dribble to the corner flag as he is to do anything else. Um, the that that great chance that we've talked about, sort of at length, like I said, did come at the end of a thirty-one pass sequence. That's that's in the tenth minute. Uh, we had the ball for ninety seconds. I want to I want to kind of emphasize this. We it came off a goal kick, uh, you know, Stefan to McKenzie, and then basically everybody touched the ball except Sargent. I think in the passing sequence, thirty-one passes. It's unlocked. The moment of unlocking comes from Serginio Dest. And I think that's why, you know, people who, who are criticizing Dest for being like a zero in this game, who else is going to, if it's not a Brooks pass to Sergeant's feet or Dest combining up the flank, how are we going to create attacking moments? It, it's so much of it has to come through Dest because he has that, he has that mentality to like, to get going and play a couple quick passes, make a run. And that's what he did in this moment. He made a run that kind of disorganized that little section of Honduras's defense. And then he played the pass into, into Reina, into the box. So I just want to make sure I point out that Dest is crucial for our attack. And as long as he doesn't hold somebody on side for like a one V one versus a keeper, uh, there's like really nothing that nothing to complain about, you know? Right. Right. If, if Dest literally just is a neutral defender, <laughs> And does you no harm? Uh, the trade-off is immense. Yeah, and he most and he mostly is. Certainly, certainly he's he's neutral defender again relative to his other options in the pool, who are by no means like lockdown uh, flawless defenders. Yeah, I, I I've in the past criticized Robinson for his chaotic body language, but I'm starting to see that with Cannon. You know, he comes on and it's just chaos. It's like comes on and like two foots a guy in our d- defensive third. Like, what are you doing, Reg? Um, he had a couple of bad moments against Switzerland too. His, his last two, right before he came out, were like a, a bad turnover on the ball. So he's supposed to be our safe, safer player on the ball. Uh, and then he, uh, you know, he just got rinsed on uh, on his very last action uh, to get beat in the box. So he's, I mean, if he's going to be the safe guy, he needs to be the safe guy. Yep, he does. Uh, the right, you know, almost right after that, Sergeant Header that he he gets good i think decent power on it it's not it's not a super difficult save for lopez i don't think but um that was a good chance almost immediately after that reina runs onto an errant back pass from honduras this is also in the 30th minute 
and slips Pulisic into the box, full speed ahead. Pulisic can't quite get his feet right. And this is the moment where he, you know, you were saying he could have skittered it across the face of goal for Sargent at the back post. And he tries to shoot and almost makes the keeper, but doesn't. And uh, yeah, I, I'm, I think at this point in the game, 30 minutes in, I'm thinking we look decent other than the set piece where Stefan acquitted himself shamefully uh, that resulted in that goal line clearance from Sargent. We were totally dominant Four very good chances for us. One. Okay. Chance and a few more moves resulting in danger for, for Honduras danger against Honduras. On the other hand, you had been very ineffective in the things he's supposed to be good at, but also bad at the things that he's supposed to be bad at. So I think that's exactly what I felt like 30 minutes into the game was that uh, we'd done some good things. You will seem like a wasted position and Anthony Robinson had been mostly invisible. Even and I know he had that really solid cross, but I, I don't even know if that was within the first 30 minutes, but those, that was my sort of take on the first 30 minutes as well. And the, in the Stefan Howler. Yeah. And in Robinson's case, I'll sort of take invisible, you know, after you know from that left side because we knew we need his the, the protection of his his athleticism and you know to the extent that he's able his commitment to defend to help protect brooks so i would i was not displeased with that in level of invisibility <laughs> invisibility all right so we're 30 minutes into the chronology here yeah but we're gonna go fast uh 37th minute pulisic does a guy and then plays what looks to me like a very clever through ball that almost wrong foots Pereira. you know he kind of reaches back with his left foot and and cuts it out but it was a it, it, if he had not been able to reach back and cut it out it's legit running in on goal perfectly timed um and then another dangerous sequence right before the half from honduras and this one um yeah this one is the one where mckenzie gets left for dead by elise brooks plays a loose pass on the ground it's intercepted by Honduras and then just dumped into the corner for Elise. This is often how Honduras created his danger. Just dump it in the corner and he gets there first stops on the ball and then pushes it past McKenzie and zips a ball across the face of goal. Anthony Lozano, the striker for Honduras just misses it with his outstretched foot darting behind none other than Jackson. Ewell. not, I'm not trying to pile on you there. I don't like whatever a little bit though. Like, uh, I mean, I, I watched that one a bunch of times too. And a little bit like, not he he gets beat to that spot when it's definitely his job to protect that spot in that in that moment. Pile on, pile on. <laughs> I hope I hope he just has I hope he has an absolute banger against Mexico. I hope he just like shuts everyone up and uh, carves Mexico to pieces. Yeah, we want everyone to succeed. I'm not. I think I think the Yule experiment should be over that now though. Just to be clear with everyone, I'm not trying to be overly negative. I think the Yule experiment should be over. You you mentioned something earlier today about how how many minutes Berhalter has given to certain kinds of sixes. Right, he gave all of he gave all of 2019 to Bradley and and Trap, uh, and then gets a whole do over. I feel like after that year, and in that do over, he's given about 400 minutes now to to Jackson Ewell. So when people are like, we just don't have a backup for Adams, uh, like we haven't we haven't tried anybody, you guys. We haven't we haven't actually run any auditions for Adams backup. We've always gone with like players who are the polar opposite of Tyler Adams. So I don't, I don't know if there's a, a, a good stand in out there. We've never tried. It's frustrating, man. What's going on, Greg Berhalter? Like, why can't we be a little more open-minded about this? Well, um, and that's, that's where I say, you know, people are saying like, well, it's the system, the system, but if, if that, if we're looking for Adams as backup, then it's not the system. If the system can succeed with Tyler Adams in there as that player, 
then clearly the system doesn't require like a supreme passing player. Which Yule is not. Like bottom line, that's the fantasy that we're living under that Yule offers this supreme half-turn passing component to his game and he just doesn't. It's not there. Well, we're going to find out because he, he's going to get the, he's going to get a good talking to between now and Mexico. I'm just going to be like, Hey, you've got to hit these passes. This is your whole, this is your whole bit. Yeah. All right. All right. We got to, we got to get off of that. We got to keep going on the timeline. I mean, I would say before that big chance for Honduras, we were knocking on the door. There was a legit ball to McKinney at the back post that got cut out by the keeper Pulisic turn and attempted through ball to legit. Another one at, uh, in the 39th minute, the legit maybe just doesn't receive properly and it gets cut out. Did we have and to, we already have the McKenney header on the corner? A few set pieces. No, I didn't mention that. That was a, that was one of our really good chances. It was just a corner after Reina dribbled into transition and sprayed it to Pulisic and, and Reina gets tackled by Kevin Alvarez and Alvarez uh, pumps his fist. He's super pumped that he got, <laughs> he got the better of Pulisic there. And then um, yeah. And then suing corner kick McKenney is all alone at the six and he heads it over timing was slightly off. Maybe I don't, I'm not sure. I, that's the guy I want with that chance yes, yep. with his head. So yep. they're difficult because he's very good at it. So yeah, he is good at it. And then uh, we should also mention just going backwards in the timeline, everybody <laughs> in the 15th minute, a good chance when pool six scoops legit in behind and he cuts it back. And I, I give a little mark against Sergeant here for not being quite decisive enough, quick enough to get to that cutback Cause he Sergeant is is smart to break off his run and come back near post, you know, for the cutback rather than the ball across the face of goal. He just doesn't get there, you know? Right. Right. So, yeah. So in that case, it's like, can your forward just power it through the block and fucking bundle it home? And he, he didn't, he couldn't quite get there, which is, I mean, frankly, it's a theme with Sergeant. He's not an elite striker by any stretch of the imagination. And that's who he, that's what he is. He's a, he's got potential. 46th minute, uh, Yule too slow in the buildup giveaway. Just got to clock that. Uh, and then the 51st minute, a huge chance for Lozano and Elise on the break. This is that uh, straightforward ball over the top where Dest uh, holds him on. I don't know what Serginio was doing in this play because Brooks and McKenzie are holding the line at the half line and Dest is a good three yards behind them, just kind of leaning and watching. Like, what are you doing, man? Don't do that. And Brooks was mad at him. I saw it. That that still frame shot of him doing the like long the ski jump uh, lean is fantastic. Uh, and if we lost that game, that would that would have been the defining moment. Yeah, got to cut that out. Can't it would have been that, and it would have been Stefan. We would have had a couple of defining moments if we'd lost that game. And then, um, uh, you know, I, I mentioned Reyna jumping in the center circle in frustration at Ewell. That, that happened in the fifty-sixth minute. Uh, mentioned the sergeant sidewinder in the 58th minute. Let's see. What what are you thinking at this point in the game? We're an hour in and Honduras is about to make three subs and we make none. Uh, so, so it's the same thing. I guess the pile on continues. Uh, I was surprised that you will uh, wasn't off at half. I think I'd actually been talking to you guys about like, do we, does anyone think you will comes off before halftime? Um because again, he just wasn't adding anything, and he was a uh, sort of a repeated liability. Uh, and, and again, he wasn't the only guy having a bad game or, or, or a neutral game. But when the other guys have like very obvious upsides, it's like you keep him on there. But when Ewell's not having that upside, that it surprised me that he stayed on 
beyond halftime and then beyond the first wave of subs as well. Yeah, we didn't even get a wave of subs until the 78th minute. So we played, a, everybody in the starting lineup played 78 minutes. I would have liked to see some kind of change, some kind of switch it up where it's 0-0. Zero, zero. We're going to penalties right after regulation is over. This is a little bit of an urgent situation and uh, and it didn't feel that way from the sideline. Uh, people will say we're too negative because up to this point, other than the errors by Stefan, Destin, McKenzie, uh, we dominated the match. And I do think, I just want to be fair to those folks and, and keep them from being too mad at us by saying, I think there's a decent case for that. You know, the XG is in our favor uh, dramatically. The, the chances that we created were, were more like, you know, actual built chances than Honduras. Honduras created chances on errors by Stefan and Dest. And then, you know, I don't know if you called McKenzie getting beat by Elise an error, but he McKenzie needs to be a little more aware of his own physical limitations and stay a little wider. And he did that actually later in the game against the He was one-on-one with him late in the game. Right at the end. Right. I was shocked that we even allowed that to happen and disappointed, shocked and disappointed. Uh, I'll, I'll push back a little bit on, on, on anyone who might push back on us <laughs> for our negativity, but uh, I didn't think we really controlled the game. Like it didn't feel like we were in total control of the game. We, we definitely had more possession, but it felt like that was like a Honduras's way. I, I honestly thought it was like Honduras's tactic to concede possession. So our press couldn't create any chances. I don't think there were any chances we created off of a, off of a press or like turning them over and, and breaking up field. Controlled the game is kind of a subjective phrase, like a little bit of a subjective phrase. I use it all the time. So I know how subjective it is, but, but I, yeah, I, I, on rewatch, I felt like there were large portions of the game where we just, we had the ball and we were occasionally threatening. It wasn't like we were totally ineffective in the attack. And I do think there's like, you know, there's, there is a little bit of a meltdown down going on, on social media where people are just going ballistic. And I just want to say, I, I'm not totally on board with that. That's all. I'm, all right. I'm, I'm threading the needle in the perfect middle ground <laughs> as usual. I'm actually, I'm actually with you, I think at the moment, but I, I think the, I think the other side is also, I think there's a lot of like sort of apologizing going on and, uh, and, and sort of some overcompensating the other way. Um, because like, I'm prepared to get kind of, uh, uh, worried. Um, if we, if we go out and get like waxed by Mexico, like if we go out and don't look sharp at all and, and get done, uh, then I feel like all of the apologizing for this Honduras game, like, Oh, it's CONCACAF. It's, it's just, you know, it's so difficult. The conditions, uh, I think all of that evaporates uh, because it's like, okay, well, if, if we can't be, if we can't control teams and dominate teams that we're much better than, and we can't do the same thing against teams that maybe are at our level, then what are we left with? And this is yeah. again, in Denver, this isn't on the road. We, this, is, this isn't sort of that famous, like, Oh, it's hard to win on the road in CONCACAF. These are the home games. We have multiple champions league players. Like it can't just be like, men's national team better things aren't possible like we have to be able to do something we have to be able to prepare to be one of the some group of teams the ones we're better than or the, or the ones where we're the underdog yeah that's that's a good point it's not like our system doesn't seem to be working against either type of opponent i mean at least <laughs> on the sample size of the last two games um and, and that's that's like my preemptive way of saying like if mexico just completely obliterates us or, or, or sort of plays us in a way that doesn't have to be obliterating. Like if it looks like the Canada game in Toronto, uh, then I'd be really curious what sort of the, the, 
the apologists would would say at that point. Let's get Bruce Arena on the phone. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, obviously. Uh, yeah. Okay. Let's get to the goal. Um, because there were some nervy moments. There was some sustained pressure from the US in the last 20 minutes, I thought, for a little while. Uh, two more subs from Honduras in the 74th, I believe, and still none from Burhalter. In the 78th minute, we we get Aronson for Reyna, Sibichu for Sargent, and Cannon for Robinson. And uh, the goal comes from Sibichu, uh, but, you know, a player who's been mostly just talked about on big soccer for the last five years. He gets on the end of a header, obviously. It starts with a, a throw-in in, in, the, in the far right corner from Cannon to McKenney. And, and McKenney does, Cannon does nicely to sort of get out of a little pressure and then play it backwards. And then it, it finds its way to Brooks in, in uh, sort of on the edge of zone 14. Brooks plays a really nice diagonal ball to McKenney. McKenney heads it across, just like they say in the textbooks. And, uh, and I guess Aronson got a touch on it, so he's credited with the assist. Which seems like a something of an injustice, and then uh, and then Sibachu, you know, heads it in. I think it's actually a more difficult finish than it maybe appears because the ball is like rising as he off the ground as he as he heads it, and he keeps it down just enough to get under the under, under the crossbar. Yep, and he it, has to he has to add a decent amount of power to it, I think. Yeah, so he man, dude can score with his head, and I mean he's been doing that in Switzerland all year. Uh, and that's the, you know, it's a game winner and great relief to me. I'm, I would not have been happy if we had gone to penalties and then we did give up a, a chance, another just sort of simple ball over the top down the left Dest is a little, maybe not too much, but a little high and, uh, Brooks ends up one V one with Elise and he does get done. This is probably the, if there's a mark against Brooks, it's this moment, and he gets he gets beaten by Elise, and then Elise tries to hit it across, and Stefan with his foot cuts it out, and that's really the sort of like the last major action of the game, and we see it out, and we're off to play Mexico on Sunday. Mexico had an even more difficult uh, match against Costa Rica. I didn't watch it. I'm just going by the scoreline. Don't have time to watch this game twice, and. Uh, record a podcast the next day and watch the Mexico game. But anyway, I did watch the penalties. It went to like the sixth or seventh penalty and Memo Cho came up big for Mexico. What's your, what's your take on the idea that, well, the U S the U S one zero win looks better because the, because Mexico also struggled to get through to this CONCACAF nations league final. Well, I mean, I think we're getting ahead of ourselves there because for all we know, Costa Rica could, could wax us in a game too. So, uh, you know, it, again, I don't know. And I'm not saying that we're going to go in and get pantsed by Mexico, um, but I, I definitely like feel less optimistic about it now than I did before the Honduras game. It just, now here's where I'm going to get a little negative. <laughs> it just doesn't seem to be working. Like what Burhalter's trying to do. It, it doesn't feel cohesive. It doesn't feel overall like rhythmic. And I don't, you know, I'm not enough of a brain to diagnose exactly what's going wrong, but it's not, it's not working. And, and this is where I felt like some of the coverage I was reading where it was like, why is everyone so worried? We created a couple of good chances, like, uh, you know, good performance. And, and for me, it's like, that has, that has to be like the bare minimum when you're playing a home game against a team that again, on paper, you're much better than this. Isn't like some, uh, Honduras team that is, you know, totally weathered up and down the field. I think there were five guys on, on that starting lineup for Honduras that had single digit caps. Uh, they're like, they're young too. They're, this isn't like a, a battle tested group. 
uh, outside of a few guys. So uh, to say, like, we couldn't break them down more frequently, like, you know, you can't say, well, if we just finished our chances, that doesn't happen. Like, you have to create a lot of chances to get your one goal. So you can't say, well, if we just finished all our chances, it would have been a different game. Like, of course it would have, but it doesn't work like that. So the idea is we needed to have created more chances than we did, and pointing to one or two good ones uh, just isn't enough when you're playing on home soil against a team that you have a significant talent gap over. And I don't think I'm being disrespectful to Honduras to say that our five Champions League knockout players constitute a talent gap. Yeah, it's the whole sum, the 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 whole is less than the sum of its parts cliche. Seems to kind of just be a consistent theme. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I'd like to see like we've said probably 40 times in this podcast already, I'd like to see Musa in the starting lineup. I, I'd even be okay with him at the six. I'm not sure. I'd prefer Acosta over Yule just to see what, what he offers. I'm not saying that I guarantee Acosta is going to be a huge upgrade over Yule in that spot. I think he'll be a little bit of an upgrade though. And uh, yeah, I just worry. I worry about how, how susceptible we are defensively. And then um, maybe that's the main thing because we are creating some chances uh, against a against a team that was you know trying to defend resolutely. We got some chances. We and we did end, we did end up winning the game. We did end up winning the game one to zero. We got enough chances to put one away. We got lucky that they didn't score too. So, and and where I'm where I'm what I'm hopeful of against Mexico is actually that we get more opportunities to create chances off their mistakes uh, in the sense of like, they'll play through a press, you know, they'll hold the ball deep and build. Uh, and I'm hoping that our press actually gets to create some looks because some of our players are, I think, better in that mode than they are actually playing with the ball. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping that that adds a, another sort of element of, of chance creation in the final. We do have to find a way to get Reina and Pulisic comfortable in a role that is, in roles that are like part of a system of attack, you know, not just, not just hero ball. We got to find a way to, to get McKinney in his best spot. And that, that is not, I don't think standing next to the opposing center backs, hoping to receive the ball. No, he, he was great. I think his, one of his best games uh, was against Wales where he was just kind of circulating in front of the back line, uh, picking up the ball constantly and then interchanging with anyone who was around him. And, and he was able to help create those overloads wherever he went. He was everywhere. He was he was in front of the back line. Then suddenly he was out uh, like in the right corner playing with Dest and, and Reyna. Uh, and it doesn't it didn't seem like he was free-flowing like that in the last couple of games. I want a free-flowing McKinney. I feel like that would help solve things. And maybe a more uh, defensive minded six would allow him to do that. I don't know if he feels like tethered to that central area of the field because we can't leave it, you know, unguarded. I don't know. I'm not, I'm definitely not in this case trying to like be like everything is somehow traces back to Jackson. Ewell. I don't think that's necessarily the case. Uh, but obviously Tyler Adams was the six in that, in that game against Wales. You think Adams is going to play against Mexico or is he just not, not healthy enough? So my my guess going into it was that, but I've been wrong about like all of Burhalter's rotation decisions so far. So this is you know basically meaningless. But uh, I kind of assumed that if he was going to get played against Mexico, they would have played him for fifteen or twenty minutes here against Honduras. Uh, and 
because I don't I don't know that you can just start him after what's it been like five weeks of not playing soccer. Yeah. So I'm I'm pretty pretty pessimistic on that front. Uh, I'm I'm again I'm hoping Eunice Musa gets a start somewhere in the midfield, uh, and after that I don't have a lot of don't have a lot of hard and fast preferences. Acosta got the the 15 minute run out at uh, at the six in this game, so maybe he, that's a signal that he'll be the six. He's on the one who Sunday. slid the he slid the ball over to John Brooks to set up the ball into <laughs> McKinney. So <laughs> uh, but, come but on, hey. come on. Just so everybody knows that's a joke. We're not crediting Acosta for some plus plus pass there. But um, what I guess let's end, let's come full circle on uh on just taking things for granted. Should Ethan Horvath start against Mexico? Oh boy, man. I'd probably I'd probably start him. I don't want to be, you know, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'd probably start him. I don't think that Berhalter is going to do that, though. Yeah, I, I think it'd be an overreaction if you really thought like Zach Steffen is is way above Horvath. But I did. I didn't go into the. I haven't gone into any of those games thinking that. Uh, so I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily hesitate to put in the guy who's looked outstanding versus the guy who is a bit shaky, a bit yeah. wobbly. Well, and I'm also hopeful that uh, Musa. You know, Musa has been rested since his cameo against Switzerland. Uh, so hopefully that means he's, he's ready to go 90 against Mexico, but you know, if you're betting man or woman, do you think, would you bet that he starts against Mexico? No, because for me, the rotation to, if you're trying to prep Musa for Mexico, the rotation isn't to play him 20 minutes against Switzerland and then not play him against Honduras. Like you would have played him, uh, 15 or 20 minutes against Honduras. Uh, if if you thought he was your strongest guy and you were just saving him, you wouldn't not play him at all. You'd actually want him to get like a certain amount of uh, workout in. So it wouldn't make sense to rest him entirely. I think I think right now Berhalter just doesn't have Musa as part of his strongest group. If he's going for a result, it's it apparently isn't necessarily Musa. Hopefully I'm wrong on that, and hopefully he's in the eleven, or or we've adjusted and changed our minds a little bit since since we've seen these games. Well, we got to brace ourselves for Sunday. Uh... The the four last thought for me, um, the four two, you know, there's our Slack channel is really um they, you know vibrating right now. There's a lot of different opinions, a lot of different takes, which is nice because not everybody agrees about everything. But um some people are saying we, we gotta go to a four two three one, just a more straightforward four two three one, have a essentially a double pivot that allows Musa and you could do a Musa McKenney double pivot and then you know put maybe even make Legette the 10. I wouldn't hate that. Maybe make it Reyna. Uh, what do you think about that? I, that does, that does appeal to me. Does it like blow up everything Berhalter's trying to do the whole project? If he does that. Um, maybe a little to have it. I think a dedicated 10 wouldn't work very well for what we've been doing so far. So I think that would be a big switch, but I think again, going back to that Wales game, like those three center mids, Adams, McKenney and Musa were so fluid and there was so much interchange and, you know, if Adams was up a little bit, Musa would just immediately drop in. In the buildup, McKenney would drop in to add a second uh, center mid in, the, in sort of that double pivot, and you'd create it in the flow. Um, and I just, I think there's no reason we couldn't do that. So it wouldn't necessarily have to be a, a rigid four-two-three-one or a nominal four-two-three-one, but you could get the same effect by just having more of an interchanging center mid. We've we've gone on at length about interchangeable center mids, and then when Jackson Ewell gets thrown in there, that that's impossible. You can't do it. He's going to sit and be the sort of static six and you can't have all of that fluidity. 
Yeah. Okay. So if if it were Acosta, Musa, and McKenney, you know, if you needed to have another guy set up to help protect Acosta if, or whatever, th- they would just naturally be able to do that a little bit better. Yeah, I, I li- I've I've liked the fluidity. I mean, there was a lot of fluidity against Jamaica too, when it was uh, I guess it, who was it, Musa and Acosta, Acosta Legit and Musa. Yep. Yeah. Um, let's list off some positives before we get out of here. I I want to list off some positives. I thought I think. These last two games have shown us that Mark McKenzie is very much a national team center back. I think he he's got some weaknesses, but he is he's legit. You know, we, I think we can rely on him as at least a depth piece and some a spot starter at center back going forward. John Brooks is the Concacaf king, <laughs> no doubt about it. That's a huge deal. Reina Reina is a high impact player. He's going to be frustrating. He's young. He doesn't you know he doesn't always pass the ball when he should, but he is a he's a tough kid, a tough competitor, and he's gonna he's gonna fight like hell. Um, and Pulisic is like pure class. That's I guess that's not a really a positive from this game. It's just a, <laughs> a reminder of a truth. Right, and and again, I'll go into Mexico uh, braced for disappointment, but but also knowing that we could see some like absolute like uh highlights from from pool sick you always at least we know we have that sort of always in waiting we we could get at any moment desk could do something special pool sick could do something special reina like we have guys who who it can happen the ceiling is there uh so we're not just resigned to let's let's hope for the best with christian pool sick like we were last cycle yeah it's let's hope for the best with christian pool or geo reina or Serginio desk <laughs> That's better. That's a better, that's a better floor. It is. There we go. That's our positive note. Yeah. I mean, we're not going to, obviously we're not going to be able to preview the Mexico game, you know, preview it in your own mind. Think about it. And uh, we'll record on Monday after the game, which is at 9 PM Eastern 8 PM central on Sunday night. Give the local time. It's a mountain time game. Come on. They, they, they deserve that. I don't, I can't do that math. Seven? Is it seven mountain time? Yeah, seven mountain time. It's sun, mountain time doesn't actually do that. It's sunrise. It's sunset mountain time. They only do sunsets. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see ya.